Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome and today we're going to talk to Ian White and we'll tell you a little more about him in a couple of minutes. But first of all, welcome Ian and tell us about your academic background. Hi, Peter. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. Um, so I um, I sort of divide my life into two broad parts, and uh, there's an academic story for each of them. Um, I was born with congenital glaucoma uh, and increased uh, interocular pressure uh, as an infant, had surgery to stabilize that pressure uh, very early on, and um, lived uh, for the first 40 years of my life as a, a sighted individual. Um, and uh, around my 40th uh, year, I uh, developed a series of complications that led to my eventual blindness. Um, so I spent the first part of my academic life um, as a corporate interior designer. So I had gone through uh, what was then Ryerson Polytechnic Institute, their interior design program uh, for your BA uh, Bachelor of Applied Arts program for interior design and uh, practiced as a designer, senior designer and senior project manager for one of Canada's uh, largest interiors firms doing mostly uh, corporate work, um, multi-floor, multi-million dollar budgets, um, uh, hundreds of thousands of square feet. Uh, kind of office projects. Um, after losing my vision around 2001, uh, I went back to school um, and eventually made my way through a very part-time undergrad degree at U of T for philosophy. So I actually hold two undergrads right now, uh, a Bachelor of Applied Arts in Science in Philosophy at U of T and uh, the Bachelor of Applied Arts from Ryerson. Okay. So having said that, what about your work experience? So again, um, I, I worked uh, in the field of corporate interiors for uh, a number of years um, and uh, developed a, a number of skills there that uh, eventually translated into uh, some of the volunteer work that I do now. Um, after losing my vision in a field that is almost exclusively visual, um, it was very difficult for me to uh, figure out how to get back to work. And um, losing one's vision in midlife is uh, a, sort of a, a devastating setback and required a complete reset in the way I sort of organized my life. And um, and that impacted my family as well. So uh, my wife, Marla, and I um, essentially swapped roles. Uh, she's also a corporate designer. Uh, she became the primary um, income earner. And um, I became primary caregiver for our then four-year-old daughter, Ray. Um, so it took a while for me to get back on my feet, um, to be honest. It was a, a long, slow process of rebuilding what I could do and um, eventually led me into a, a series of volunteer positions, uh, first with the CNIB and then with the Canadian Council of the Blind. And um, I spend most of my time now uh, as a volunteer. Okay. 
Let's get into the organization in particular that you spend a fair bit of your time. What's the name and what's the purpose? So the organization that I'm involved with right now is um, a local chapter, a Toronto chapter of the Canadian Council of the Blind. Um, it's called the CCB Toronto Visionaries and um, was born out of a peer support networking program uh, run by the CNIB, the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. Um, they had um, put in place uh, an introductory program, an eight-week program, where um, groups of folks who are new to vision loss get together and uh, are led by a peer mentor, so someone who has experience of, of vision loss and can guide them through sort of the initial navigating points of um, what it means to live with vision loss, um, both the uh, resources and services and supports that are available um, to help people get back on their feet, um, as well as sort of dealing with the um, the emotional side um, of, of coping with uh, a substantial um, sensory loss. So um, I was trained as a, as a team group leader uh, with the New Beginnings program at CNIB. And um, the very first uh, group that I led, I did in collaboration with two others who had been through the training as well, uh, Denise and Carol. And the three of us led our first group, uh, got to the end of the eight weeks, and our group had been so impressed with what we had done and so were so happy with the opportunity to get together and share their experiences with each other and with us that uh, they decided they didn't want to stop. Um, they wanted to get together uh, on their own as an independent peer support group. And we started with eight people and um, met once a month and um, would often invite in a guest speaker to come in and talk about some aspect of, of living with vision loss, whether that was a sports program or um, uh, support service or whatever. Um, so we would meet once a month and over time, uh, word got out that we were holding this peer support network uh, group meeting and um, more people came and more people came and uh, eventually we were up to about 30 or 35 people. And um, one of our guest speakers turned out to be uh, a representative from the Canadian Council of the Blind, which is uh, a Canadian national registered charity that has over 80 chapters across the country. Um, the CCB um, has a whole series of, of chapters that are locally organized and volunteer driven. So each chapter really serves the needs of its local community, whether that's um, getting together socially, getting together uh, to pursue some sporting activity, uh, whether that's advocacy issues in their local community, whatever it happens to be, um, the CCB chapter will serve that need. And um, what we realized here in Toronto was that we have access to a whole range of possible groups and, and services that are really exceptional. Um, when you look across the country, um, there's a, an, an incredible concentration of opportunities here in Toronto for people with vision loss um, to really explore and, and um, live rich, full lives. And I, I think that um, one of the things we recognized was that 
there was sort of an information um, block in that some of the people who were participating in, for example, tandem cycling for the blind knew about their activity and the, the people who um, pursued that activity, but they didn't know that there was also uh, a curling group. They didn't know that there was a downhill skiing group. They didn't know that there was a, you know, um, a service over here that would support them or a, a support over there that might make their lives easier. So one of the things we decided to do was um, really sort of try to cross those um, siloed boundaries and make as much information available to people with vision loss as possible about all of the opportunities that were available to them, irrespective of which organization or which group um, was hosting those activities. And um, that was really how we got grounded in doing what we do um, and how we became connected with the CCB. Um, the, the Canadian Council of the Blind is essentially a consumer advocacy and peer support network. That's primarily what they do. And um, we were already doing most of the things that they were, <laughs> they were promoting anyway. So it was a, a logical leap to become a, a CCB chapter. Um, what does that mean on the ground in Toronto for us? Um, we're one of about seven or eight chapters in the greater Toronto area that operates under the CCB flag. And um, our primary mandate is to create social and recreational opportunities for people with vision loss, to get together with their peers, um, to share a lot of information, to learn, uh, and just to explore the, what's possible. Um, I think one of the driving forces for me was that when I lost my vision, um, part of the devastation that I felt was that just about everything that I could do was based on what I could see and what I couldn't do see. So um, there didn't feel like there was very much I could do. And um, it was really for me only by connecting with other blind people, um, by connecting with the blind community, com by connecting with a lot of the information holders and discovering what was possible that my life really opened up. And um, and I felt the power of that and, and wanted to share that with uh, with other people. So um, a lot of what we do is just saying, you know, here's an opportunity. Uh, would you like to explore it? If you would, come on out and, um, and try it out and see if you like it. And if you do, then uh, there's one more thing you can add to your toolkit. I think you told me about a hockey team. <laughs> yes. Um, so... As part of, uh, of my discovery of the possibilities, um, there are all kinds of groups that uh, that support people with vision loss uh, of all levels. I should stress that one of the things that is uh, tricky for, for a lot of folks who don't live with vision loss to grasp is that um, we come in all flavors. Um, blindness is not a, uh, a, a circumstance that is selective. It uh, hits all kinds of people from all walks of life, from all socioeconomic uh, socioeconomic statuses, and um, and it hits people with all kinds of different interests. Um, so, the groups and and support services that spring up um, are a reflection of that diversity, 
And so one of the things that I found amazing was the uh, the kinds of activities that are possible for folks with vision loss, one of which is uh, playing competitive ice hockey. There's an organization, uh, I believe they are national. I might be wrong about that. Um, I know they operate here in, in Ontario and have several chapters here. They're called the Ice Owls. And um, the teams are comprised of people with varying degrees of vision loss, uh, some of whom are totally blind and play competitive ice hockey at speed. <laughs> and I don't know how they do it, but they do it and they love it. So it's, you know, um, one of those things that's um, often difficult to imagine if you're a sighted person and you've never dealt with a vision loss, but, uh, but it just speaks to, um, it speaks to uh, the, the interests and the passion and the um, capability of people who live with vision loss. Um, I think that um, it's very easy to, to say, you know, gosh, aren't those people brave or aren't they courageous for, for dealing with their disability? And in a way they are, um, but in a way they're just people. They're just people who are pursuing their passions, who are pursuing their interests, who are pursuing recreational opportunities and are doing it to the best of their ability, irrespective of what that pursuit might be. Um, as I, I mentioned to you in a previous conversation, I've met people who have done exceptional things, um, whether it is, you know, starting an entrepreneurial business, whether it is, um, you know, I've met people who have crewed a, a tall ship for five months in the South Pacific. I've met folks who have done 100 mile endurance runs in the Gobi Desert. I have met people who've run the Bar Mar uh, Boston Marathon. Um, the the list goes on and on. Um, I know a couple of people um, who are completely blind and absolutely love scuba diving. Um, these are not things that you would normally think of <laughs> if you were to ask the average person on the street. So what, what are blind people capable of? Scuba diving probably wouldn't top the list, but um, but there are folks out there who do it and who love it and um, and deal with their vision loss and experience the world in a slightly different way than sighted people do. But uh, that doesn't slow them down at all. They're also involved in the uh, Parapan Olympics, the uh, Pan Am Games, Parapan Games. So there's, there's no real limit, is there, Ian? You know, there are certain obvious things that blind people probably can't do, at least not yet, with the current technology we have. You probably wouldn't want a blind neurosurgeon on your team, um, perhaps, you know, captaining a, a, a commercial jet is not in the cards just yet. But um, one of the things that is astonishing is how much accessible technology there is out that supports us in doing what we're doing. Um, you know, I'm using a fairly uh, simple tool right now, uh, a screen reader um, that is available um, to help read all of the content, the digital content on my computer. Um, I have an accessible smartphone that allows me to text, make phone calls, search the web. Uh, um, and again, it's because it talks to me. Um, these are conventional tools that are available 
right now and allow folks like me access to the digital universe. And as we've learned over the last couple of years, working virtually or working online, working digitally is uh, is something that we're all very comfortable with. And um, for blind people, there's there's no difference. If we have the, the right supportive technologies, um, we can uh, participate in all of those kinds of activities. Um, as time goes forward and uh, human creativity continues to express itself, we find that um, you know technology is just going to continue to advance, um, and the accessibility tools that are being built into mainstream products right now are just going to continue to improve and will improve our access, um, irrespective of what kind of um, uh, disabilities we carry. Uh, but particularly for people with vision loss, um, just as an example, there's a, a group out of McGill uh, that is currently working on an AI solution that will help to use um, haptics and sound to interpret uh, graphical content on the web. Everything from interpreting photographs to uh, charts, graphs, um, those sorts of, um, of uh, graphic data. So it's it's coming. So the organization you're working with mm -hmm. now, three years from now, what's it going to look like? So one of the <laughs> things that, um, that has been very gratifying uh, over the last almost 10 years of us being a CCB chapter uh, is, has been the growth. Um, we've seen ourselves grow from an initial uh, membership of about 21 people. Uh, we now have about 150, 160 um, registered members for our chapter. But that is a small uh, fraction of the number of people we could be reaching. Um, so just uh, to throw some statistics out, um, currently in, in Canada, the estimate is that about 3% of the population lives with some form of um, non-correctable vision loss. Uh, by correctable, I mean uh, wearing um, some sort of corrective lenses. Um, what that translates to is uh, about 466,000 people in Ontario. And if my math is correct, and we have about 3 million people living in Toronto, um, about 90,000 people living in, in Toronto itself, um, we are currently, um, you know, offering uh, our opportunities to about 150 of those people. So would I love to be able to reach out and to help break some of the isolation that comes with living with vision loss? Um, because one of the great tragedies of living with a disability uh, and vision loss in particular, which affects your knowledge of about 85% of the world, um, is that it's incredibly isolating, um, both because the the physical um, restrictions that often accompany a profound vision loss uh, are are difficult to overcome. The learning of skills to overcome those um, the 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 difficulties in navigating the world uh, are learned skills. They need to be practiced. Um, but also because of the social context, um, quite often family and friends don't really know how to engage with a person with a, a profound disability 
um, especially with vision loss. This centers from what I feel is a kind of um, lack of public awareness and a lack of education and a lack of the ability to imagine what it might be like to live as someone with a, a profound vision loss. Um, we've just talked about people who've done extraordinary things. And for most sighted people, I think the kinds of things that we've just been talking about would not even occur to them. They wouldn't be able to imagine how it would be possible for someone who is totally blind to manage living and working on a, on a tall ship, for example. Um, the, so there's a, there's a disconnect between what, what is imaginable on behalf of someone with a vision loss and what they're actually capable of doing. And I think if you come from a sighted background, you yourself, as someone living with a vision loss, also suffer that lack of imagination and, and awareness. Um, I think one of the great strengths of being connected with peers, with other people who have lived with vision loss, who have been down this road, have already solved many of the challenges that you face, is that you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what's possible. You don't know what can be imagined and what you, the potential for your life could be. And it's really only by connecting with others who have already done that, have already um, sort of mastered those challenges and have proven by living their lives that they are capable of so much more, that you can realize that the potential for your life is actually not as limited as you imagine it. And I think that's a really profound lesson that, um, that I hope um, a lot of people will be able to take away. Um, and that I hope through getting connected with organizations like the Canadian Council of the Blind, um, folks living with vision loss will be able to see their lives in a much more positive light and will be able to explore their own potential uh, for living a rich, full life and being a, a, an active and engaged part of their community. So Ian, talk about funding. How, how does the organization get funded? And do you have partnerships? So there are, um, there are a couple of ways to answer that question. I can answer it from uh, the chapter level. Um, on the chapter level right now, uh, for us, the CCB Toronto Visionaries, <coughs> excuse me, um, at the local Toronto level, um, we rely entirely on um, charitable donations from our donors. Um, we don't have any major partnerships at the moment. Um, would love to uh, engage in talks with, uh, with anyone who might be interested in um, connecting with us. Um, Stable funding is always a, a, a challenge, um, but, um, you know, basically what we do is um, through the generosity of our donors, we're able to try to offset the cost of participation. Um, one of the things that's crucial about our demographic is that many of us live on either um, disability income or fixed retirement incomes. Uh, many of us are low income, many of us are underemployed or unemployed. And so, um, you know, saying that, uh, you know, we could go on a, um, a bus trip and it would only cost you 150 bucks is a non-starter for most of the people that, um, that 
come to the chapter. Um, so what we do is we take those donation dollars and we apply them directly to offsetting the costs of of the um, opportunities that we uh, that we set up. So, for example, um, we'll be doing a bus trip at the end of September that will take uh, a busload of um, of our members and their friends and families uh, down to the Niagara area. Um, we're going to visit a winery. We're going to do lunch on their on their terrace, and then we're going to do um, some apple picking in a local orchard uh, for the day, and then drive everybody back to Toronto. The actual cost for this uh, trip is probably about a hundred dollars per seat on the bus. Uh, we're charging our members thirty. So we're using the um, the donated dollars um, that come to us to directly offset the cost so that people living on very restricted incomes um, can afford to participate. Um, at the national level, uh, I am not as aware of how their funding works. Um, I know that most of it is through corporate fundraising, through uh, corporate partners um, and um, not very much in the way of government direct uh, funding. So again, they rely on on uh, donors, uh, both private and corporate, uh, for the the funding that they do. Um, again, our national office is comprised of a very very small number of dedicated individuals um, who organize and and manage and oversee the the operation of the chapters. At the national level, but the chapters themselves operate pretty much independently, and that includes financially. Um, we're each responsible for raising our own funds. So, Ian, what is the website where people can get more information? The chapter one. So, uh, I'll give you two websites uh, for the chapter. It's uh, ccbtorontovisionaries.ca. That's all one word. So it's ccb torontovisionaries.ca um, you can uh, write to us at info at ccbtorontovisionaries.ca you can uh, call our voicemail line at uh, 437-882-4323 um, and uh, through any of those channels you should be able to get directly to us um, there's also a governance page on our website um, which lists uh, everybody who's on our executive team, every one of which is a volunteer. And um, there are email addresses there for each of us um, if you want to contact one of us on the executive directly. Um, I think it's really important to just stress that, um, you know, we operate on a, on a bit of a shoestring. Um, obviously, we're, we're um, reliant on, on donor funding. Uh, we do as much as we can with that. We have no salaries at the chapter level, no office space, very little overhead. Um, and uh, we really do uh, try to apply as much of every donated dollar to offsetting the cost for our members as we can. Well, thank you very much, Ian. You're uh, passionate about what you do and you're making a difference in your community. Peter, thanks so much for the opportunity to be on your show. Really appreciate it.